Welcome to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Today I sit down with Tim Hardiman, who is the co-owner of both Utica Bread and the Taylor and the Cook restaurant, where Tim is the chef. Tim is a super creative, hardworking, and interesting guy. In this episode, we talk about the American diet, uh, whether or not to put salt on your butter or buy salt with butter, uh, what it takes to be creative in the kitchen. We talk about game dishes and flavors and where you know his creativity and passion for what he does comes from. This is a really fun episode. I hope you all enjoy. So without further ado, here's the show. If you are ready to take the hard road, the road less traveled, the path in life where the journey is more important than the destination, then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigor. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. And today our guest for you is Tim Hardiman. For those of you who may have never heard of Tim, he is a restaurateur, a chef, a baker, and part-time candlestick maker. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding about that last part, unless, of course, you now tell me. I've dabbled. I've <laughs> dabbled in, in can- candlesticks. I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Tim is a chef and is a co-owner, owner? Co-owner. Co-owner of the Taylor and the Cook here in Utica, New York, which for anyone around this area, you most likely already know about it as it is one of the best, if not the best, highest highest regarded restaurant in the area and also co-owner of Utica Bread. Utica Bread. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, thank you for coming on. I'm excited. I'm excited. That's good. I like to talk. (laughs) Good, because you're going to need to. Uh, When did you first realize you wanted to be a chef? I don't know as I could like pinpoint that, but I can definitely tell you that um, I was raised in the restaurant. So that sort of predisposition is, is always going to, you know, I'm working hard to make sure my son doesn't follow my path, but my dad's restaurant is a little bit different than what I do, but I was born and raised in a restaurant. So let's talk about that. You say a little bit different. I obviously know what he does. Our listeners don't tell me. My dad owns a, a, full service diner bar and bowling alley just a few hours uh, or excuse me a few minutes north of here in in barneville so i grew up in the in the diner first job was washing dishes and second job was flipping eggs and then i think he tossed me out and i had to go get a job from somebody else so um people in the hospitality business i i I don't know any you know hard figures but i'm gonna i'm gonna wager a guess that you know, 50% of the people that choose hospitality as a, as a, as a livelihood probably grew up in it or one of their, one or both of their parents was a part of it because it's, it's not, it's not a career that smart people really choose without, you know, some sort of, of predisposition like that. So, um, that's one part of it. And the other part of it, and I, I often cite him as a kind of a, you know, just like maybe a catalyst to my love for food was my grandfather, my, my dad's dad. Bob Hardiman was an awesome cook and not not really, you know, uh, gourmet, just, you know, he, he cared about the food that he cooked and he had a great garden in the front yard. And, and uh, I think looking back on it, you know, um, that was probably like the, the one of the sparks for me that uh, maybe showed me an interest in food. Now, was there a meal or a moment you had with him that you can pinpoint? Like, I think... I think that that was the spark. I vividly remember eating sugar snap peas out of his garden, you know, in my bathing suit in the hot summer, you know, and like we're sitting there just, you know, eating the peas out of the pod. Um, I, I, it's, that's like a textural memory of mine. Um, he used to also cook a dish called Swiss steak, um, which was like tremendously, um, textural to me as well you know like i still i can taste that just talking about it right now and that was like one of his go-to meals and and uh 
Um, I've actually, you know, prepared spin-offs of it here at the restaurant, and I do it at home a lot. So, so did you ever get to cook for your grandfather? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, my grandfa- my grandfather and I had a really awesome relationship, and uh, he lived um, to be 83, which would have been uh, 23 for me. So, um, and I actually lived with him uh, for the last few years of his life. Um, so I did a lot of cooking for him. You know, he, he saw me graduate from culinary school and, and um, had the opportunity to eat and cooking for a while. So. so he never got to eat in the tailor and the cook? No, no. Um, we've been open here almost six years, and he's been gone about 15. So, What do you think he'd say if he saw the success you've had with this restaurant? He'd be he'd be he'd be pretty happy he was uh you know we're very very similar people you know from uh whether you're looking at it from a political standpoint or or uh, a temperamental standpoint or just like a you know a, a general vibe he'd, he'd be really happy about it he'd be really happy about it this is his kind of place you know he liked he always went out to eat you know, he was a uh, a widow for many years of his life so he was like kind of got into bachelorhood in his in his older age and so he was out to eat many nights a week um you know he liked a he liked a good uh old-fashioned or a manhattan he liked to drink bourbon he liked to go out to eat and you know some of the storied restaurants up north um uh, captain's table the yeah. flotilla yeah he was a regular All so the legends. yeah 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 he, he'd be happy about it he'd be here a lot if he was in uh in a condition to to get in here for sure what did he uh, think of your Swiss steak? I, I don't know as I ever made that dish for him because that was his dish. So right. when he was around, he was making it, you know. Um, I'm certain I don't make it the way that he does, but uh, it's a simple dish. You know, it's a braise of, uh, you know, it's like, like a pot roast or a braising cut, tomatoes, onions, garlic, mushrooms. Who do you, uh, who do you think made it better or makes it better? <laughs> But, you know. The legend. <laughs> he made it better. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Got to learn from someone. Sure, right? sure. So I, th- I think there's something about grandsons and grandfathers. I mean, a lot of people follow their dads, but usually I think it's the grandfathers that tend to have a little more time to spend with the grandsons. You know, there's something kind of legendary about them where – Parents are kind of trying to set a good example. Yeah. Grandparents are like, I've already done that. It's time for me to just live. And, I mean, that's the reason I got into hunting with my grandfather. And a lot of the outdoors was because of what he did. Sure. I think. Stuff that you and I as parents, you know, like, <laughs> don't really always relish dealing with the grandparents don't have to deal with that you know they just tell them stories about their life and you know maybe they reprimand them or or or, you know or discipline them but it's on a really superficial level so all there is is just like love and 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 growth you know there isn't like the resentment that you know my son will eventually have for me because i'm (laughs) busting his balls to do this or to do that or you know it's just uh it's it's easier you know the relationship between a, a a child and a grandparent is easier it's and it's more emotional you know i think there's something to that too where parents and people around our age you're still kind of figuring it out trying to see your path through life and a lot of grandparents already have so much life experience totally. that they've they've already kind of sussed out what are the important things they really want to pass on yep. what is it yep. they want they know they've lived yeah you know and that's that's an interesting point because yeah like think about the stresses that you and your wife or me and my wife go through on a like a daily basis while we're like parenting you know or running these businesses or whatever and and yeah of course my dad's still running his businesses and dealing with with you know those stresses too but you're right you know like he's and it's interesting my grandfather was 60 years older than he was 60 when i was born my dad was 30 I was 30 when my son was born, so there's 30. You know, if my if my grandfather was still alive, he'd be 90 years older than my son, um, which is pretty cool. And so, the difference between 60 years between you know my dad and my son, or my grandfather and me, you're right. You know, 30 years, we've come a long way in 30 years. So they've they've figured it all out, and they know what they're going to talk about, and they know what they're going to pass on, and they know what they want that time to be like. You yeah, know? it's it's kind of that filtered excellence. 
Like yeah. you're like, all right, I'm just going to show you the highlights of the things I've totally. learned in my life. We're going to cut the crap out. And I think that grandparents are, you know, I, I had the luxury of growing up with really awesome grandparents that were a really huge part of my life for a long time. You know, I, I lived a good portion of my life with both of them around and I was thankful for that. I think that's super important. You know, I think that that is a part of, of, you know, a really good solid upbringing is that extended family. I think so. I definitely think so. My uh, son spends a lot of time with all of his grandparents, uh, mine, my wife's, you know, we travel, they live in Florida, but we make it down there quite a bit to see them. And I mean, they all love them to pieces. And you can see that though, that kind of like the things they're focusing on sure. trying to teach them yep. is you know, those things they think are really important. What as a father are three things you'd like to pass on to your son? If you could only pass on three things to him. That's hard. Compassion. I think that is something that, especially with boys, it, you 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 want to make sure in this day and age, especially like today. Yeah, little boys can be a little ruthless. I that know a, from that being a, a young boy. man <laughs> has compassion and empathy. You know that is not a, a feminine trait. That is um, empathy is a good one. Well, it is, and the, a good one. compassion and empathy. I, I want to lump those. If I can use those, right, it's just one. We'll put one. those in together. Yeah. All right. um, work ethic. Yeah. Uh, that's easy because without a good work ethic, then you're going you know, nowhere. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, that's how I was raised and enjoyment of uh, just fun, you know, like work ethic and fun need to be balanced. You know, he needs to understand that you're going to work hard to provide for your family and you're going to be gone sometimes, but you got to have time to, you know, spend with your family or to listen to music or to, you go hunting or to play sports or, you know, and so make sure that he understands that there is enough time for all of that. I don't know how to put that in one word, but it's just kind of like enjoy those little moments. Yeah. Balance. Balance. Balance is a phrase I use a lot. How is your balance? It's terrible. <laughs> But I, I work real hard on it, and it's better than it would be if I didn't pay so much attention. It's easy to get consumed. Two businesses is really hard. Yeah. And uh, two hospitality businesses is even harder. So you're not, saying not, put up, putting up the general public can sometimes be not the No, easiest. it's just, well, yeah, but I love that. I mean, this is the service industry. I want to be, what I, do, I, what I do is take care of people. But what I mean by that is, you know, hospitality not to take away from someone who owns uh, different types of business, let's say IT businesses mm -hmm. or something, but um, hospitality is all-encompassing. It really is, and, and so you really have to, your head really has to be in it. So two businesses is tough. Two, two hospitality businesses is tougher, I think, although who am I to say because I don't know anything about IT or real estate or, you know, so... I think my businesses are tougher than the average bear, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I think there's a really high failure rate of restaurants that would yeah. probably back you up on that. I can definitely give you figures on that that I'd rather not. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about rest, being a restaurateur a little bit. I mean, you started in your dad's kitchen, worked your way up through other kitchens. When did you realize you wanted to have your own? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't long after I left working at, at my dad's place. Um, I went across the street to a restaurant called the Marcella. And uh, the owners there were really good friends. Who, who, they became good friends of mine. Um, and I still keep in touch with them. And uh, Marcy, who was um, the front of the house manager and owner, went to Paul Smith College, where I ended up going. Um, and I just, that was the first taste, you know, I saw my dad was a, his, you know, an entrepreneur and a, and a uh, you know, proprietor of his own business. And then I saw Jim and Marcy who did the same thing and, uh, but more of my style, you know, a little bit more fine dining. And I think even then I, I had an idea that I wanted to do it for myself. Um, but you know, there's a good 25 years, 20, 
two years between the Marcella and the Taylor and the Cook where, you know, I, I bounced around a bunch of different ideas because I, I was never so vain to think that it was going to be easy. So, but I think I knew early on that I, I, I wanted to do it on my own. You know, when you're the son of, a, of someone who is self-employed, you are more predisposed to be self-employed. That is, I, I don't have data to back that one up, but I know it's true because many of my friends who are self-starters, who are entrepreneurs, who are proprietors of their own business come from at least one or two parents who are proprietors of their yeah, own business. Yeah, my parents are, so I'll, I'll just if, verify well, that. Well, yeah, but start, start <laughs> thinking about the people that you know that own their own business, and then if you happen to know their parents, you're going to find probably more than half. You know, it's funny. I, I am thinking about that. I'm thinking about also the ones who don't and th- what their parents do. And there's a lot of similarities there as well. I think that people who own that don't own their own business are very intelligent people who, who <laughs> uh, know better. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's real estate or construction or bowling or, or res- restaurants. It takes all your time, man. It, it does. We talked about this earlier, and I'm sure listeners have heard this once or twice me say it's it's that your dreams will cost you everything you have and everything you can get your hands on all your time money talent creativity that's a big one too especially and i've been thinking a lot about creativity lately you and i before we started the show we're talking about francis mullman yeah uh who i told you was kind of one of the reasons i was interested in interviewing you was the whole process of being a chef is because when i saw him i didn't see one of these really fancy french cooks no even though he kind of no. came from that world he did it was a guy out there burning things in a fire and i thought oh burning yeah, things yeah. in a fire yeah, makes I you a world-class right, chef right, right. i'm halfway there you see me cook a s'more sure <laughs> sure he's it, i hey man i'm if if Malman led to me in your head i'm i'm honored about that because he's he's a pretty uh, dynamic cook for sure. And, uh, he's, he's done a lot for, you know, world cuisine and, and bringing, you know, uh, a focus to a more primal way of, of cooking. Do you, all right. So you obviously, you probably know a lot more about him than I do. Is there anything you see in that style of cooking that appeals to things you do, or maybe you has inspired you to cook a little bit differently? Yes, um, but in the way that, you know, I didn't even know who Francis Mallman was when I opened this restaurant, that's for sure. And um, when you are cooking volume and when you are, are looking for consistency, uh, cooking over a wood fire is difficult. So I don't have any wood fire in my kitchen, although I wouldn't be opposed to it. But, um, you know, even at our houses, you know, like how much easier it is is it to fire up the propane grill than to start a, a charcoal fire or let alone a wood fire to cook your dinner, you know? I mean, you oh, have to really far. start planning on it. But when, when you put yourself in, you know, the camping mode or, or whatever the case may be, it, it becomes... So it's a simplistic way of cooking, but it actually is kind of complicated, you know? And if you're, if you're looking at a five-hour dinner service, cooking over wood, you know, as your exclusive way of cooking, that's challenging. You've got to keep, you know... My grill stays the same temperature all night long. How challenging for those of you or people like myself who have no clue how different it is. Very challenging. I mean, if you've ever cooked over a campfire, you know, at the beginning. See, I've only almost only cooked over a campfire because I I told you before, I don't cook at home. So it's like my cooking does only really extend to a campfire. You got to wait for the, (laughs) you don't want the flames to be, you know too high you want good solid coal bed which is going to burn nicely for however long you know it's appropriate based on the coal bed that you got you know but you you can't start the fire and then an hour later have a good coal bed the fire had to burn for three hours before you get a good coal bed to cook over and then what if you're cooking something slow and low and really long you know grilling a couple steaks yeah you're done you know throw a couple ears of corn on there you're done but what if you what if you got a you know roast a leg of lamb or what if you, you know what if you're cooking for a bunch of people and and you need three and a half hours of cook time yeah that those, is those embers aren't going to do it no, you know that's far so you more have to be you have to have a, a, a fire on the side generating embers which you are then moving into you know and that's that's how you that's how you cook over wood from a you know a a realistic 
thought of producing for volume people, whether it's over a campfire or whether it's you know indoors. You you have to have a supply. So it's interesting because the way you describe it, cooking over wood like that, it's almost as important or maybe in some cases more important to have uh, your fire your fire is almost as important or more important than what you're actually cooking yeah i mean yeah because you have to pay attention to everything and it's harder you know it's hard to do that it's it's not consistent and uh you know it's you don't have a knob to regulate and you don't you know it's it's difficult and even you know even harder wood-fired ovens you know like to bake bread or to do anything that's tremendously inconsistent and hard to regulate but can be done and those people who have mastered a wood-fired oven to bake bread or to 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 turn out pizzas are true masters of their craft so you look at somebody like Mulman. if you put him on a propane stove i mean probably one hand behind his back with a blindfold because like <laughs> all, play. yeah all those variables are taken out of there that being said you know like it's more than just a cooking method you're seasoning via your method of cooking and you're not seasoning when you cook on propane how, how does that work because that's well, smoke some smoke smoke seasons you know i really? mean so it's essentially the wood is t- also you, you're gonna cook absolutely i mean and if you put a lid on it you can i mean you could smoke something over over wood we know about that barbecue you know but um you're going to impart flavor via smoke for sure so um you're not imparting any flavor when you're using gas (laughs) you might you might be you might be if you are it's not a good one (laughs) you know but you you can you and i have the same steak same seasoning you cook over wood i cook over over propane or in a pan right it's a drastically different product. Huh. I'm going to have to dabble now. I've, I've been inspired between this conversation cool. and, and Netflix Chef Table episodes. I'm ready. I got a Mulman uh, cookbook if you want to borrow. It's pretty cool. I don't know. I'm terrible at borrowing things. Just take a picture and send me a copy of one page. Right. Keep it simple. Just Sounds this good. recipe or this, this is the one thing you're going to cook. Actually, in mentioning recipes, you and I were talking, doing a little prep for the show, and I was like, oh, what are your favorite recipes? And you're like... No, it, it doesn't work like that. It's more about flavors and well, pairings. Well, it, and I was it like, does oh, yeah. work. I mean, we, I don't want to make it seem like we just, you know, shoot spitballs. We definitely um, follow formulas when, you know, for example, let's talk about the salad dressing on our current, you know, house salad is a red wine vinaigrette. Yeah, we follow a recipe that we wrote because it needs to be the same A lot of time. times. So, but... Um, when people say what's your favorite recipe i don't that's a i want to tell you about a dish you know i want to tell you about a a concept i want to tell you about a cooking method you know or i want to tell you about a piece of fish or i want to tell you about a raw ingredient more so than a recipe now i read cookbooks i read mulman's cookbook i read what you know i'm looking through recipes there but all i'm really doing is like it's it's rare that i like follow a recipe out of a right. cookbook that's not to say that we don't do that you know especially when we're doing things like you know pastas or breads or any sort of mm-hmm. pastry you you better be following a recipe <laughs> in, in that but um you know it's it's more of of a of a concept than it is a a, a list of ingredients now if you had to say right now because flavors obviously change favorite dish what would it be well I think that is a question of like, you know, what is, what evokes emotion in your mind, you know? So like favorite dish for me is macaroni and cheese, you know, like that takes me back to my childhood, not talking about a box of craft. I'm talking about, you know, good handmade mac and cheese. That's probably going to be, you know, if I was on death row, I'd pick mac and cheese, mac you know? and cheese, um, real good mac and cheese, you know? Um, but that's like my favorite meal. And that's just so it takes you And what, uh, that's not an uncommon response. I bet if you asked a hundred people, you'd get at least 10% that said mac and cheese. Really? I really, I think so. Oh man, I need to create a survey based off this episode <laughs> to see what people say. You're on death row. <laughs> what's your last meal? Right? Yeah. I'll put it up there with it. Now, 
So I hear mac and cheese. I probably think something very different from you. I'm thinking craft. craft. It's coming out of a box. You're my son still likes Velveeta. to eat craft. Oh, yeah. Actually, delicious. my wife Let's buys the Annie's organic, oh. uh, but it's the same deal. So, so when you say mac and cheese, what does your mac and cheese look like? Penne pasta. Because um, I want a, p- a pasta that's going to hold a lot of cheese. And el- most people will use elbows. I don't think elbows are appropriate. They're terrible because, at holding yeah, cheese. Yeah, that's a problem I've had. The thing is, and I'm not Italian, but I do understand that every pasta has a purpose. You know, spaghetti is not going to be used for mac and cheese or for a cheese sauce. You, you know, I want penne pasta. Um, I like whole wheat penne, um, but doesn't have to be because... And cold mac and cheese is really good, especially if the penne pasta, you know, like they filled with the cheese side in there. It just looks like a brick of cheese with some pasta sticking out. Um, Penne pasta, sharp cheddar, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of onion, a little bit of dried mustard powder, uh, and some breadcrumbs of seasoned breadcrumbs over the top. Heavy cream. Oh, yeah. Heavy cream is always a good choice. This yep. is an argument my wife and I have, whether she likes yogurt butter, which I honestly That's think should bad. be a banned food. <laughs> I think they should not allow it to be made in this country. I don't even know what that is. Manufactured in this country, anywhere near this country, it should only be butter. I do not disagree with that. And it, when she'll make some of these things. And it's butter like, gets such a bad rap, too, you know, and it's like, just don't use so much of it if you've got a problem with it. But do you think that margarine is better for you? No. And I don't know anything about yogurt butter, but. I can't imagine um, it's phenomenal. I mean, well, it, 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 at least if it's late, if, 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 if it's made with dairy, then I, I'm at least more accepting of it. Yeah. You know, but um, margarine and um, American cheese are two things that I take great exception to because they don't generally contain any dairy. Yeah, those, I, I couldn't agree with That you being said, there. there's people who can't process dairy or have allergies, so I suppose they need those sort of things. But And we're very sorry for you people yes. out there, but for myself who can... Uh, I need, I want the real deal. Yeah, give, give me the hard stuff. Stra- yeah, man. Strap me in, put yeah, and in the you, vein. And if you're counting calories or concerned about, um, you know, your, your cholesterol or your health, then don't use butter the way that I do. You know, just put a little, use it the way my wife uses well, it. Well, here's the interesting thing, and I'm sure there's listeners out there far more knowledgeable than myself on this. Uh, people have been using butter in full-fat cheese for a long time before yeah, obesity man. problems came yep. along. And the obesity epidemic seems to have started relatively around the same time as the appearance of these other products. That we started processing, really highly processing our food. I think it has a lot more to do with proportion size than actual butter use. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's a few examples out there of people just eating a stick of butter. Well, I mean, when you, most people would watch me eat, you know, because I'm kind of into bread these days. Um when you see me eat a slice of bread with some butter, it might make some people uncomfortable, you know, now, the amount of butter that I'm going to put on there, but that's just me. You know? Let's get, let's get into this. Cause I'm sure there's some butter connoisseurs listening. What's, what's your go-to? Well, I, you know, I hang my hat on local. So, um, I've been using cream Hill butter out of, uh, Hamilton, New York for quite a few years here at the restaurant. We use it at home. Um, where could people find it if say they are? They're at all the local farmers over? markets. I'm uh, Peter's Cornucopia in New Hartford. Tom's in Clinton is my go-to. Tom and Bonnie, Little Tom's Natural Foods, great store. Um, Creamhild is getting their product out there, so it's not as hard to. F- in fact, I think I saw it in Price Chopper or Hannaford. Um, but you basically like so. So maybe you don't get to that. I'm gonna have to try that because I've oh, been rocking really Kerrygold and the Kerrygold's other- nice. The other day, Kerrygold's nice. Have you ever seen it? There's this Amish butter, and it comes in what looks like a sausage roll. Oh yeah, it's just wrapped in a, like a log of butter. And I like, like I like the rolls of, of um, butter because they're they're to me they're very utilitarian. So you unwrap the paper, you slice off a chunk, you wrap it back up, you put it back in your fridge. You know. It, you know what else? Because I, like I don't about want cold it? butter. I like the thing about the roll of butter is it gives you a lot of options for how you're gonna serve that butter. Sure. So yep. if you get a stick. You're really only looking at coming off the top, coming off one of the sides. Right. 
if you get that roll of butter, yeah, you can do all sorts of you things. You can slice it like cheese. You can yep. grate it. I mean, there's tons of things you well, can do. And there's with nothing that worse than cold butter, in my opinion. I oh, need no. room temperature you're, butter, but you're, oh, if you I don't want to just, butter. I also, I also don't want. I, I don't use salted butter. I use unsalted butter. So that means it's going to go bad quicker. So like the rolls are nice because you can open that up, take a couple thin slices off there, and in two minutes it's room temperature, and you can spread it on whatever you need it to. See. This is where, again, because of my grandfather, he always ate cold butter. I have always eaten cold butter, and I like if butter starts melting, I'm like, oh, getting anxious. Really? I have to start See, eating I mean, that it's bread. Quite, quite the opposite. Salted for me. too. I love salt. So that's you know. Well, I, I love salt. That. I just want to add my own. Oh, I should try that. I should I like, go unsalted on my next butter purchase. I like get a get a roll of a one pound roll of of uh, cream hilled unsalted from Hamilton. And, I have to uh, do that. It's really good. I'm going to really try good. that. I'm going to try that. But I'm the Kerrygold is nice. And, and, you know, just steer yourself away from, from you know, the com- what Lakes. I would. Yeah. <laughs> and try and find. And you can find it in big supermarkets. So you can find artisan butters. Kerrygold's you know, out there. Yeah. That's beautiful. And there's a, there's a, um, we buy it too when we don't have the opportunity to have Cream Hilled. Uh, it's uh, out of Maine. I can't remember. It's got a, it's a female's name as the company, but, uh, it's it's good butter. If, if someone listening knows what he's talking about, write it in the call, comments. Call in. <laughs> yeah, call, call into this pre-recorded show. <laughs> I bet you. I bet you. We have quite a bit of people who are very much more aware of things like this than myself. Who they okay. they will know. And so we've covered butter. You touched on baking a little bit. How important is? butter to that baking process well um first i want to correct something you said early on i am not a baker you're not a baker i own a bakery okay okay um, i can see where the confusion came in i do not bake i am not a cook who transitions well to a baker so what do uh, you do there how would you, what do you support, say your role is i here? support my team and and try real hard to make sure that my management team has everything they need to run a, a successful bakery have you ever been in that bakery? <laughs> I'm, I am I am there quite often, um, but I don't. I'm just not. You know, I, I've I've worked some shifts and I can fill in if I need to. But uh, um, not every cook is a baker. See, this is a great example, though, for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be good at the business you own. Just well, find people who are very talented yeah. to support and, you. And you know, it, it does beg the conversation of how Utica Bread started off and and. Um, I always like I like off? I always like the opportunity to to give props to Steve Arbogast, who is our head baker, and and uh, I know Steve. Yeah, he went we to high went, school. Yeah, him, right? he graduated yeah. my class. Um, Steve Arbogast is um, a really tremendous person and uh, somebody that I'm real happy to have in in the fold here. And he started out five years ago as a sous chef here with me at the Taylor and the Cook, and Steve is one of those cooks that that can transition into a baker. In fact, he's one of the most talented bakers I've ever come across and i'm fairly certain in the state of new york one of the top five wow um, self-taught this is a big state self-taught and um, the city yeah yeah he, he's producing i mean Woo. if anybody's listening and hasn't tried the utica bread then get in there and check it out because what steve and his team are doing is is no joke this is real european bread uh made by hand and baked in in a, a hearth uh, uh steam injection all right oven let's let's go to this then death row which bread from Utica Bread would be in that meal? Whole wheat Levain. It's a it's a one of our newest uh, concepts. It's a um, no commercial yeast is used, so that means it's you know a true sourdough where where the the leavening yeast is natural from the air. Yeah, I saw there was another uh, show on Netflix that talked oh yeah. about bread. I don't remember what that uh, was, it was, but the, it was really the four, good. The four um, four part series, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Netflix is killing it. It really is, you especially not be especially with show. food. Yeah, go, go get, go get, go on get Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> especially when it comes to food and stuff. There's a tremendous amount of, of stuff out there. Um, whole wheat Levain is an amazing bread that Steve and his team have produced. And if you're listening, we're we don't sell as much of it as we should. So pick up a loaf and check it out. And then go get some of your uh, cream hilled butter, cream hilled butter, and some whole wheat Levain bread. So. Do you toast it or is that like depends uh, on the day so um i want to wait for that 
it's going to ring like four times. I'm surprised that's the I'll only time it. it's rung. Do you toast it? It really depends on the day for me because the breads that we're producing, I pretty much only eat Utica bread these days. Um, the breads that we are producing do not have a long shelf life. There is no preservatives. These are made by hand, and, and uh, guess what? They go bad, and it happens pretty quick. How quick would you say? Two to three days. Wow. Well, that's what happens to bread. You know, and Turns out things that aren't have no yeah. preserv- preservative and, properties go bad fast. As, as uh, Americanized as we are, we've all become real used to bread that will sit on your counter for five days, ten days, and nothing happens to it. That ain't right. That's not how it's supposed to be. And so we, one of the things we've learned at Utica Bread is we really have to, well, it went bad, it went bad in two days. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yep, <laughs> sure did. That's what's supposed to happen to it. And, if it didn't, call us. <laughs> right. And you need to work a little harder to preserve that bread um, like our grandparents did, and it really wasn't a big deal. So you buy a loaf of whole wheat levain. Uh, the first day, no, I don't toast it. I tear it off there. I drag it through butter. I eat it with. I do eat it without butter because you know Steve would tell you, you know, you you need to taste the bread, you know. And then, butter is you know a, a trimming. But um, these breads have very significant flavor that needs nothing. So then the first day, no, I don't toast it. On the second day. It depends on the application. I may I may slice it for a sandwich. I may I may toast it on the third day. What's remaining must be toasted. It's not uh, it's not fresh, but toasting it brings it back to a really nice product, you know. And then uh, on the fourth day, it needs to be cut up for croutons or uh, you know made into crostini or ground up for breadcrumbs or you know thrown out on the lawn for the birds, but not in the trash. And um, get this, you can cut the loaf in half and put half in the freezer and use one half. And I mean, that's, that's a wild concept. That's a great way to preserve something. It's a wild concept (laughs) for these Americans who don't understand that bread goes bad. You can detect my sarcasm. I've been dealing with this for two and a half years. (laughs) It's tough. I, you know, I think one of the problems is we've gotten, especially our generation, really, we're pulling away from it, but used to kind of shitty and bland tasting food that's full of stuff that's not supposed to convenience be has trumped everything else when it comes to what we eat and, and i that think flavor is, was the first one to get sacrificed yep. at the altar flavor got screwed yeah and, it did uh, and and soon after that came nutritional value yep and you know everything every, and then what's the point <laughs> every american way of eating i shouldn't say every but too many American ways of eating are focused on f- fuel. You know, I just need to f- get something in my belly quickly because I'm hungry, but I'm not going to concern myself with how it was processed, where it came from, or how it was prepared, you know. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I have an eight-year-old son. He likes to go to McDonald's, you yeah. know. And he always I, had a Pop-Tart nose yeah. or a processed food. I, I, I eat Honey Nut Cheerios, you know. I don't live in a bubble, but... That's kind of where, you know, how things came to be in, in you know, the, the concept for the tailor and the cook in Utica Bread is, you know, pay attention to where your food comes from and what happened to it. And, and, and we are so damn Americanized. We all are. You know, I grew up in the 80s in a processed food generation. My mother, I love her dearly, but she wasn't much of a cook. It was rice and roni and, and frozen vegetables and canned vegetables and, you know, hamburger helper and shit like that. And, and. And I don't want people to think this is an anti-American thing because I love this country. But I do, But the thing too. is, we do have vastly different food laws than what they allow in Europe. Anyone who's ever gone to Europe and looked in a candy aisle is going to know. Sure. Those do not look like gummy bears. No. No. And, and you know, it's it's everything. It's the processed food right to, to the, you know, the proteins and the dairies. You know, like no country treats their food supply as a commodity except the United States, you know, our, our feedlots of beef and our feedlots of pork and chicken. And, and the fact that, that corn and, and wheat are looked at as commodities, you know, food should never be a commodity like petroleum and, and, and like electricity. And like, it's not like that, but it is, you know, people who restaurants who sell a lot of beef, high volume restaurants, they buy futures in beef. That's not right. That's, that's forgive me but that's totally fucked and that's not how you eat you don't you don't you don't 
buy futures in beef. You buy cows and you, you buy commitments to farmers who, who raise these animals properly, you know, and feedlots that are the size of small cities aren't how our animals were meant to be raised. And I think a lot of that thought is becoming become more popular and becoming even more mainstream, more popular. And that's what's led to the locavore movement and to a lot of new hunters. Which brings my next question. If you had to pick a favorite game dish, what would it be? Well, let me... I like to eat game. I like to eat and cook things that were foraged, whether it's a mushroom or, you know, a wild leek or a white-tailed deer. Do you do a lot of foraging trips or is that... I don't. So (laughs) here's my thing. Um, I work enough. So... um, I love wild forage mushrooms. We're cooking some tonight, you know, but I've got guys who forage for me and I pay I got them. a guy. <laughs> yeah, I got a guy. I do not forage. I do not, um, you know, I don't do uh, pick your own strawberries. I don't do, like, I work a lot and I, I just, <laughs> it's just not my deal, you know, yeah, and, and no, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I love the mushroom foragers. I love to talk to them about what's out there. And maybe someday I'd like to go along with them and check it out how it goes. But right now I've got, the experts handle their business. Um, My favorite game. I first want to let anybody who's listening know that um, there's, I can't serve wild game here. Um, Whatever I serve has to be legally. legally. I could give it away. I can't sell it. Which isn't. I can't serve. I can't sell something that it hasn't been processed under the, watchful eye of the USDA who's doing such a phenomenal job as we've yes, previously are. touched on yeah. so if say you had like a benefit ben, right, this is just an example a benefit to raise money for whatever cause right and people donated money to say I'd like to speak to my lawyer <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough I won't push you know, that you can give it away I don't know how it works if it's right. a charity thing you know there's these wild game dinners yeah that's, but, that's what I was uh, kind of but getting I can't towards. do it in my restaurant you okay. can do it at the church you know and, and right right out. okay um, but that being said um, there are ways that you can incorporate game into um, you know commercial restaurants um, I think all of us are gonna you know kind of the, the knee jerk is venison, right? Cause we all were born mm-hmm. and raised on it. My mm-hmm. dad was a hunter and, and you know, and, and whitetail is kind of ubiquitous, ubiquitously game in central New York and it tastes damn good. Um, I serve red deer, uh, farm raised mm-hmm. from Stuben. Yep. Um, and it's really good, but it is farm raised. Uh, but I still consider it game. I serve rabbits. I consider those game. Uh, but everything's processed under USDA. You know, there are other interesting ways, but I try to keep things pretty local. You know, you can serve the air quotes uh, wild boar, right? And people don't understand how you do it, but it, you know, the boar population in you know Middle America, Southern Middle America, and Texas, you trap them, you transport them alive to a USDA slaughtered facility, and you kill them there, and so that is truly wild boar. I don't do that because I don't. Is that kind of how gators? Yeah, yeah, done then. yeah, yeah. Because you don't farm a gator, right? But um, well, I mean, so well, I guess you could. There are gator farms. Are there? Most, I would think. Yeah, there's. They uh-huh. have gator farms, but not. I'm guessing mostly they would come wild. See, those things are are foreign to me because I am local, and so I don't serve gator. There's no. Yeah, no. And I don't serve wild boar, um, and I can't serve pheasant. Although there's know, no wild uh, boar here yet. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so. I love to cook rabbit. Um, if I'm at home and somebody offers me a wild turkey, I really enjoy um, a wild caught, you know, a wild taken turkey over a, a, a farm raised turkey. Now, can you describe maybe out there for, while we do have a large hunting audience, maybe someone who hasn't enjoyed wild turkey before, the difference in the profile between a wild turkey and a farm raised turkey? turkey well keep in mind it's a different bird okay it's not you don't the 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 turkeys the white turkeys or or um and forgive me i don't know a lot of breeds off the top of my head that we're farming but they're not the same bird so that's the first thing um wild turkeys are a a significantly darker meat closer to a duck and then it's diet you know no matter what even you know some of my turkey farmers you know they're 
free range. You know, the turkeys out there in the pasture eating, you know, bugs and grass. And, and, but generally, if you farm poultry, you've got some form of protection fence around it. Otherwise, They're you, don't, gone. you don't farm much. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so the di- it's diet, you know, and a wild turkey is going to eat a lot of different things than a, a pasture-raised turkey, even in the best-case scenario. So um, it's a full-flavored bird. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I, th- I don't have, I quite honestly don't have the opportunity. I don't have a lot of people who are like, hey, got a turkey here for you. Um, but um, when I do, that's one of my favorite things to eat. Well, I if really you want to like get a break this fall or spring, I got a place. Yeah, you got if a we, guy. I got. Well, I don't have. Well, you'll be the guy who has okay. to get it. But I'll go. I'll take you to a spot that I can almost. You kill it. I'm pretty sure it. they show up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So I know we're kind of running short on time. We got tight schedules today. If you could give maybe some words of wisdom to any home cooks out there or people thinking about becoming chefs or even chefs out there what what would be like three simple rules or just tips you can't lump home cooks you can't lump all those people together all right anyone who enjoys cooking salt and pepper Salt, salt and pepper people don't use people don't season enough um ever you know how did that pork chop taste so good how did that trout tastes so good salt and pepper really so yeah man you gotta see everything should be seasoned everything with but we're counting salt and pepper seasoning right that's seasoning i don't like i said i know my wife if i put if i'm doing bread and butter i have salt and pepper uh really yeah well i told you i used unsalted butter so i have to see oh yeah i guess and the pepper yeah why not yeah i'm gonna try it i'm gonna try it you shouldn't eat things that aren't seasoned you know to me, it's it's like you you really not especially salt. Salt is an, an, a flavor enhancer. Salt on an apple, really it's a great apple year this year. If you've never put a little bit of kosher salt on the sliced apple that you're eating, then you really miss you're missing something. Oh, damn. just a little bit. This has been a very enlightening. episode. I'm not saying that like you abuse salt and you know make your sodium level, but salt is you know season things, especially meats and vegetables. You know and and you know like. It, it's just as simple as that that's it, it doesn't and then you know it works it, yeah it's really simple and and i i do not pretend to be able to give any advice to other chefs because i would like them to give me some advice um but people all right who, people you heard who, him you heard him right in the comments yeah. below wherever you are I'll listening take, to this or take, checking this I will out take your advice but you asked about people that want to be chefs or want to be restaurateurs don't that's my advice and then think long and hard about why you want to and what it is that drives you to do that and then if you really still feel like you want to be a part of this business then maybe you're doing it for the reasons that are, you know are sustainable um, but it ain't glamorous and most of us don't end up on the food network or Netflix or the chef's table or mind of a chef and most of us don't make any money and many of us have substance abuse problems and infidelity and broken marriages and and bad parenting and work too much and heart attacks and it's a really hard life so you want to be in food service you want to be a chef you want to cook you want to own own your own restaurant you really got to meditate on it you really got to think hard is this the lifestyle that i want to live and you know why is it the lifestyle that i want to live do do i genuinely love cooking for people do i genuinely want to spend my life doing it or do i just like cooking you know because you you can cook at home for people you invite people over and they can love your cooking but you don't have to run a restaurant you know do you genuinely honestly deep down in your soul like want to take care of people do you want to serve people do you want to spend your life serving people whether you know even if you're in the kitchen you serve people that's our job you know and and it's hospitality do you do want to spend your life giving to others it's what it is it's just extreme sacrifice and especially in this type of a climate like the tailor and the cook where it's high end and if at the end of that you can answer yes 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 then you are clearly deranged and probably gonna make it in this business or at least give it a shot you know it's it not trying to say that 
it shouldn't happen. I'm just trying to say that you really got to want it. It's really got to be your dream because it ain't easy. You're going to miss every wedding, every concert, every soccer game, every, you're going to miss a lot. Those of us in the hospitality business generally work when others don't, you know, I work Fridays and Saturdays because that's where the money is. That's when you go out. That's when everybody goes out. I work nights. You know, could I find a way to do it differently? Yeah, totally. I could run a lunch counter. I could, I could, there's different facets of, of hospitality. And that's the other thing too, is when I'm talking to kids in, you know, Boise's high school or whatever, what do you, what part of food do you want to be in? Because there's a lot of different avenues and you don't have to own your own restaurant and it doesn't have to be high end food and it doesn't have to be dinner only food truck, food truck, (laughs) breakfast, lunch, catering, you know? Um, you know, you can get into institutions, schools, you know, colleges, nursing homes, hospitals. There's different ways you can be a cook, you can be a chef, you can be a, 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 a you know, a culinarian and not have to sacrifice as much as those of us who want to own our own restaurants, you know, because it ain't easy. But it's awesome. And, you know, I, so maybe I just spent a lot of time talking about the negatives, but I'm still here. This is what I do. I love it with a, with a passion that I, I have only for a few other things, my wife and my sons and, and, and food, you know, and bluegrass music. Those are my, like, you know, the, I can't lump too many things in a, in, a, in a basket that I care that much about. Enough you know, for so. one hand. Right, right. Well, and, on that note, <laughs> this has been the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. For those of you who need any optics, go on over to mavenbuilt.com. Don't forget the coupon code NBHGIFT when you check out, and they will send you some free Maven swag. They are super, really nice. I I mean, I've talked about them all the time, but they're great, just great optics, a great company run by some great people. And if you're interested in supplements, because for some reason maybe your diet or food needs a little extra protein on it instead of salt, uh, <laughs> go ahead over to mountainops.com and enter this new code because they've changed their promo codes around a little bit. So unfortunately, it's only 10% off, but that's still better than paying full price. And enter the code TAG10, TAG10 at checkout, which stands for the Adventurous Gentleman. So... Until next time, we meet again. Live life with vigor.